This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter One of Box Three of Les Miserables, Volume Two by Victor Hugo, translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood, recording by Geneva. Box Three, Chapter One: The Water Question at Montfermeil. Montfermeil is situated between Livry and the Chelles, on the southern edge of that lofty tableland which separates the Ourcq from the Marne. At the present day, it is a tolerably large town, ornamented all the year through with plaster villas, and on Sundays with beaming bourgeois. In 1823, there were at Montfermeil neither so many white houses nor so many well-satisfied citizens. It was only a village in the forest. Some pleasure houses of the last century were to be met with there, to be sure, which were recognizable by their grand air, their balconies in twisted iron, and their long windows, whose tiny panes cast all sorts of varying shades of green on the white of the closed shutters. But Montfermeil was none the less a village. Retired clothes merchants and rusticating attorneys had not discovered it as yet. It was a peaceful and charming place, which was not on the road to anywhere. Their people lived and cheaply that peasant rustic life, which is so bounteous and so easy. Only water was rare there, on account of the elevation of the plateau. It was necessary to fetch it from a considerable distance. The end of the village towards Gagny drew its water from the magnificent ponds which exist in the woods there. The other end, which surrounds the church and which lies in the direction of Chiers, found drinking water only at a little spring halfway down the slope near the road to Chiers, about a quarter of an hour from Montfermeil. Thus, each household found it hard work to keep supplied with water. The large houses, the aristocracy of which the Thénardier tavern formed a part, paid half a farthing a bucketful to a man who made a business of it. And who earned about eight sous a day in his enterprise of supplying Montfermeil with water, but this good man only worked until seven o'clock in the evening in summer and five in winter. At night, once come and the shutters on the ground floor once closed, he who had no water to drink went to fetch it for himself or did without it. This constituted the terror of the poor creature, whom the reader has probably not forgotten, little Cosette. It will be remembered that Cosette was useful to the Thénardiers in two ways: they made the mother pay them, and they made the child serve them. So when the mother ceased to pay altogether, the reason for which we have read in the preceding chapters, the Thénardiers kept Cosette. She took the place of a servant in their house. In this capacity, she it was who ran to fetch water when it was required. So the child, who was greatly terrified at the idea of going to spring at night, Took great care that water should never be lacking in the house. Christmas of the year 1823 was particularly brilliant at Montfermeil. The beginning of the winter had been mild. There had been neither snow nor frost up to that time. Some mountebanks from Paris had obtained permission of the mayor to erect their booths in the principal street of the village, and a band of itinerant merchants, under protection of the same tolerance, had constructed their stalls on Church Square. And even extended them into Bolanga Alley, where, as the reader will perhaps remember, the Thénardier's hostelry was situated. 
These people filled inns and drinking shops, and communicated to that tranquil little district a noisy and joyous life. In order to play the part of faithful historian, we ought even to add that among the curiosities displayed in the square, there was a menagerie in which frightful clones, clad in rags and coming no one knew whence, exhibited to the peasants of Montfermeil in eighteen twenty-three one of those horrible Brazilian vultures, such as our Royal Museum did not possess until eighteen forty-five, and which have a tricolored cockade for an eye. I believe that naturalists call this bird Caracara polyborus. It belongs to the order of the epicides and to the family of the vultures. Some good old Bonapartist soldiers who had retired to the village went to see this creature with great devotion. The mountebanks gave out that the tricolor cockade was a unique phenomenon made by God expressly for their menagerie. On Christmas Eve itself. A number of men, carters and peddlers, were seated at table, drinking and smoking around four or five candles in the public room of Tenadier's hostelry. This room resembles all drinking shop rooms: tables, pewter jugs, bottles, drinkers, smokers, but little light and great deal of noise. The date of the year eighteen twenty-three was indicated, nevertheless, by two objects which were then fashionable in the bourgeois class, to wit. A kaleidoscope and a lamp of red tin. The female Thénardier was attending to the supper, which was roasting in front of a clear fire. Her husband was drinking with his customers and talking politics. Besides political conversations, which had for their principal subjects the Spanish War and Monsieur Le Duc de Angoulême, strictly local parentheses like the following were audible amid the uproar. About Nantes and Suresnes, the vines have flourished greatly. When ten pieces were recalled on, there have been twelve. They have yielded a great deal of juice under the press, but the grapes cannot be ripe. In those parts, the grapes should not be ripe. The wine turns oily as soon as spring comes. Then it is very thin wine. There are wines poorer even than this. The grapes must be gathered while green, etc. Or a miller would call out, "Are we responsible for what is in the sacks?" We find in them a quantity of small seed which we cannot sift out, and which we are obliged to send through the millstones. There are tails, fennel, vetches, hampseeds, foxtail, and a host of other weeds. Not to mention pebbles, which abound in certain wheat, especially in Breton wheat. I am not fond of grinding Breton wheat any more than lancers like to saw beams with nails in them. You can judge of the bad dust that makes in grinding. And then people complain about flour. Say in the round, the flower is not full of hours. In a space between two windows, a mower who was seated at table with a landed proprietor, who was fixing a price for some meadow work to be performed in the spring, was saying, "It is no harm to have the grass wet. It cuts better. Dew is a good thing, sir. It makes no difference with the grass. The grass is very young and very hard to cut still. It's terribly tender." At years before the iron, etc. Cosette was in her usual place, seated on the crossbar of the kitchen table beyond the chimney. She was in rags. Her bare feet were thrust into wooden shoes, and by the firelight she was engaged in knitting woolen stockings destined for the young Thénardiers. A very young kitten was playing about among the chairs. Laughter and chatter were audible in the adjoining room from two fresh children's voices. It was Abonina and Azelma. In the chimney corner, a cat and nine tails was hanging on a nail. 
At intervals, the cry of a very young child, which was somewhere in the house, ran through the noise of the dram shop. It was a little boy who had been born to the Tenadiers during one of the preceding winters. She did not know why. She said, "The result of the cold." And who was a little more than three years old. The mother had nursed him, but she did not love him. When the persistent clamor of the bread became too annoying, "Your son is squalling," Tenadiers would say. Do go and see what he wants. Bah! The mother would reply, "He bothers me," and the neglected child continued to shriek in the dark. End of Box Three, Chapter One: The Water Question at Montfermeil.